Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. I am Chris LaCava. I'm Lynn Posick. Hi, I'm Brian Thompson. And I'm Phil Gambling. Today, we're going to talk about predictions, observations, concerns, and just in general, looking forward to the year ahead. So let's get started. Uh, so I think a good first discussion point would actually be looking back over 2023. I think a lot of things happened. It was kind of a big year with a lot of technological changes and advancements and things coming out and changing. And uh, it might be good to just kind of take a step back and think, okay, where where did we come from as we kind of think about where we're going? So I don't know, as, as we think back about 2023, what are y'all's thoughts? What are the things that stick out? Um, weird macroeconomic fluctuations, especially in our sector mm-hmm. and in uh, innovation. So a lot of consolidation with Silicon Bank and those things kind of blowing up. You see a lot of weird gyrations in the venture capital and private equity markets. And that has downstream effects, obviously, on innovation budgets and you know the way that new technology kind of rolls out. So um, it's been really asymmetrical, though, because as you mentioned, uh, 2023 was a big year for innovation, especially around generative AI and a lot of those things. So, and other sectors are unaffected, at least so far, from some of these macroeconomic fluctuations. So, it's a it was a really strange year, really like asymmetrical, I'll say, and and a lot of the positives and negatives. And and I think I think people are kind of confused about what to do next, especially going into an election cycle, at least mm-hmm. in the U.S. I think it was strange economically because maybe I'm just a pessimist, but going into last year and even through the early part of this year, I was still kind of anticipating this crash, right? And the the uh, soft landing maybe that we're achieving, I don't know, but um, it's been kind of milder than I think at any one point I anticipated it being. I did have to Google real quick to see uh, what the notable events of 2023 were and the number one thing that came back to my <laughs> Search happened to be that uh, Rihanna actually performed at the Super Bowl. So should, <laughs> I think we should definitely recognize that achievement that we had in 2023. Um, but one, one of the other interesting things for me is sort of the the progress in um, automated driving. I think that, that's been a cool thing to kind of track for me and <clears throat> to see that moving down. My boys are 10. And uh, I'm still trying to win the bet that they never have to drive. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes by the time they get licenses. So I'm kind of looking forward to that that future down the road. But um, yeah, but I regularly have that thought that too with mine, and it's it, it's like it does seem achievable. It does seem like that self driving services of some kind may actually be a thing that are yeah is the reality of our children's driving experience. It's definitely becoming more mainstream. Yeah. Like, cause you're seeing both more vehicles on the road, but also more protests against them. At least mm-hmm. in Austin, there was a huge traffic jam with like 30 automated cars. just like gumming up all of UT's campus. And there were protests left and right afterwards, like get these things out of our city. So yeah, there's, you have both sides. It's like becoming more prevalent, but also more people are like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah. I don't like that. Or, oh, that's the thing. I'm all in. That traffic jam was a work of art. Like that was one of the best <laughs> things I've ever seen. They didn't know what to do. It was so great. It was it was amazing. Did that just happen organically, or did, was there a hack? Like 
did something compromise the I think it was like Austin was the pilot city and things just kind of didn't quite work out. I don't think it was malicious. I think it was an organic error. So did they have to get people in cars, putting them in neutral and pushing them out of the way? or what? <laughs> I don't know how it resolved. You should Google it. There's like great videos. It's just down one street over by campus. It's just a million of those uh, cars just moving three inches forward and three inches back perpetually. It's great. It was an well, autonomous takeover is what it was. It's like yeah. when the, the street racers take over the intersections in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> they all... Maybe so it was all part of their plan. <laughs> yeah, that's our first order, seeing something be sentient. Take over an intersection. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is. So it's interesting. There's the self-driving car thing is growing, but also more like autonomous delivery vehicles, less drones i think than i anticipated like a few years ago amazon delivery drones was kind of a promised thing and they didn't quite pan out or at least hasn't yet but there's been more like like autonomous delivery little like rovers that'll just drive and take food delivery to people and you know those get robbed sometimes too and it's not a perfect system but those are becoming more prevalent at least in like denser downtown areas it's interesting i just was in san francisco last week and I was uh, hoping to check the box on the having ridden in an autonomous uh, car while I was in the <laughs> city, which I didn't achieve. But in the meantime, I had like the absolute worst like Uber experiences I've ever had. So it's like we went in the other direction and that doesn't even work there anymore. Oh, well, <laughs> well I think uh, it would be a mistake not to mention looking back over 2023, obviously the massive AI chat gpt changes and how that's kind of shaking everything up um we've we've done a whole episode kind of thinking through and you know some predictions and observations on that but that's you know a, a pretty sizable change and uh, i'm sure we'll, we'll work its way into our excitement and concern about over the, the coming year uh, that's that's obviously been a big factor in 2023 and it has ripple effects i think that will be felt for a long time yeah, definitely. I didn't have it on my radar. Like, if I look back a year ago, I, mm -hmm. I, don't, I couldn't have told you anything about chat GPT. I wouldn't have expected the words uh, large language model, generative AI to just become mainstream that everybody knows about mm -hmm. and now uses it in daily conversation. Um, so it's kind of, we've gotten over the the shock of this big seismic shift in AI. And I guess my, I'll throw out my kind of my first prediction is that is next year a bit more of the normalization of it that AI is here to stay and now we're all you know there's a lot of things being thrown at the wall to test out ideas things are obviously not everything's going to be successful but are we all going to find our personal AI assistant workflows you know like become part of our day-to-day -day life that we you know might like a smartphone that'd be the kind of a smartphone mm -hmm. year where it's like now everyone is using chat GPT or everyone's using whatever AI of choice. Yeah, like it making sense and becoming clear to everyone. These are the things it's good at. These are the things where it doesn't quite make sense. And these are the things where it can help, but it doesn't take every, you know, it can augment, but not completely do it mm -hmm. itself. Yeah, I mean, you, you already see it being less and less exotic where Amazon and Google are getting into, into the market race um, officially, and you already see pricing pressures. So I think it's going to be super ubiquitous and to some degree democratized because it'll become a lot cheaper. And the other thing that you see is a lot of movements to uh, adopt it by just rank and file people. And, and Phil kind of said this, that it's not, it's not just technologists 
And I think early on, a lot of people were talking about the trough of disillusionment where it's it's at its peak and now people are going to figure out that it's just a fad. And I just don't see that happening. I mean, we're obviously going to find, uh, to your point, Johnny, where some places it's just not applicable or it's still not there yet. But even those barriers are knocking down pretty quickly. So I, mm-hmm. I if we get into a trough of disillusionment, I think it's it's gonna be um it's gonna be very shallow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just like the early days of the internet, right? When the idea of the whole idea of the internet, let alone searching the amount of content that we just, you know, it's baked into our everyday lives right now, right? We started with Lycos and Yahoo, and then there was this thing that Google was totally different. <laughs> and now it's uh, not to, I'm not trying to limit it just to something that's, you know, a search analog, but right, people are going to figure out the pieces that work for them and they're going to bake it into, they're just going to pick it up the same way. We don't even think anymore about, I don't, oh, I'm going to go on the internet and look for X or Y, right? Yeah. All the different possibilities that come with LLM and other generative AI, how they can create their own kind of personalized you know, whatever it is they're trying to do, right, for them and be able to do that. Eventually, you know, it's just going to become kind of habit part of the routine. So not in 2024, maybe. <laughs> to your point earlier, Chris, it's take a while to get there for some of this stuff to get good enough and pieces are going to work and pieces aren't. And then there's there's the trust aspect. Yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting. Also, the rate at which I think that for me, the thing that shocked me the most was this Malcolm Gladwell style tipping point of like, it was nowhere and then it was everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? But the rate at which, it's not just technologists. One of you said that it's people picking it up. And I think some of that has to do with generational change, but also just people are more comfortable with technology and in general, and it's, it can be utilized in a way that feels much more approachable. You know, you think of other disruptive things, you know, you think about initially, if you wanted to get into the cryptocurrency game, you kind of had to be technical 10 years ago, right? <laughs> to be able to do that stuff, right? You're in the barrier. There isn't one. It's like, go sign up for Bard, go sign up for, you know, whatever, and just start. You might not pull no. up the most interesting stuff initially until you understand how to write a good prompt and get what you're looking for. But man, it's easy, right? But we all know how to have other things, right? We know how to ask questions. Like everyone yeah. does that all the time, right? So that's, yeah, yeah, the barrier to entry does feel very low. Yeah. 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 And the rate of adoption, I mean, this is uh, relative to other uh, seismic shifts in technology. I think the uptake has been, it seems very rapid in 2023. So I'm fascinated to see where it goes over the next few years in terms of the demographics and, you know, who leans in and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a very early stage, I think, adoption curve so far. Yeah, I think there's also an aspect of that, too, that people are like, I don't want to get, get into this too late. I want to make sure I'm kind of following it. Uh, as it's developing, I don't want to get left behind kind of a thing since it is moving so quickly and does seem to be very capable in a lot of ways. So there's, yeah, maybe a little bit of fear of missing out or fear of like, if I don't figure out how to use this now, you know, I, I'm going to be at a disadvantage. So that's probably also prompting some of the like rapid adoption is just like, this seems fairly easy to get into. And I think, I, you know, it'll help me do certain things really well. And I want to stay you know, kind of on top of that kind of a thing. I don't want to get left behind. It's interesting. I, I was reading these projections at a like an eight percent growth in IT spend next year. However, just kind of given the larger macroeconomic conditions, that there's expectation that that spend will mostly be focused around more conservative, like cost cutting type measures, and less R and D oriented projects. Again, this is inside of IT budgets, right? But 
less uh, R&D projects, but also less on projects that'll take multiple years uh, to really come to fruition. And so a lot of that big company spending will be probably not focused on things like generative AI, though that said, there'll probably be a larger spend than there has been, you know, historically on AI and ML, uh, and especially as those are directed toward cost-cutting things. So clearly there'll be a lot of R&D from certain types of high-tech businesses that go toward generative AI and, and obviously tons and tons of startups, I would expect, um, but maybe not the, the more conservative, larger scale IT shops. But the thing in that context, I have a really hard time getting my head around is, you know, at the pace of change that we would anticipate, right, that we've seen so far and that we would anticipate, like how many R&D or even startups will end up like cycling out faster than ever before because right. whatever it is, they, whatever path they started down is actually just invalidated by by some new finding or some um, some new feature of um, open AI that they yeah. happen to release. It's, it's really hard for me to even imagine how that'll play out. Well, and, and you mentioned that earlier too, like with the last year, there was a lot of churn with funding for startups and like banks failing and like investment drying up in some areas, but also investment surging with some AI startups. So like, I feel like that's going to be an interesting nuance where like there may be, you know, five different startups all trying to do the same thing that are all overnight, just like, oh yeah, that's it. You know, there's a new thing that kind of does all that better than everything they were trying. And then, you know, there may be other areas where it's like, you know, this startup got, got in early enough and now they're taking off like crazy and I feel like it might be kind of a turbulent uh, process with a lot of, you know, potentially explosive growth and a lot of catastrophic failures at the same time. Yeah. I feel like we just saw a round of that with OpenAI has their dev day and releases a slew of new features and a bunch of startups that just popped up this year, filling in the gaps that OpenAI didn't provide, just got, just made obsolete overnight. Yeah. I think um, I think it's a unique landscape out there, though, because as we're talking about now, VC and PE are kind of um, in a holding pattern and they're having to bridge a lot of companies that were like in series A that they thought were going to go for another round that are a little bit more mature, but they have to bridge them a little bit longer because of the strangeness in the economy and the the valuation of the companies are, are changing. So I think there is a little bit of a log jam and investment, and that's forcing a lot of uh, entrepreneurs to actually bootstrap stuff like Midjourney, for example, is a bootstrapped company. So I think like uh, the innovative aspects of, of AI and things in general feel a little bit more like grassroots than they have in the past. And what I imagine could happen is that once some of the economic uncertainty plays out and maybe like some of these VC firms don't make it and there's some consolidation or whatever, the floodgates are going to open and then you're going to see a lot of consolidation in investments and also some mm-hmm. um, some of that technology being consolidated. But for the moment, there's a lot of kind of DIY mm-hmm. types of endeavors out there. It's actually kind of interesting. Generative AI in, in general and specifically in a couple of areas, especially in image generation, um, they're a lot more accessible. So it's a lot easier to get stuff off the, the ground with some of that technology than it has been ever, you know, in the past. 
Well, it also kind of feels like the Wild West in terms of like, there's not much regulation. There's still a lot of questions around copyright and like, how can I use the things I'm generating? I feel like, you know, right now, so many people are kind of getting in early before that stuff's defined and trying to make a name for themselves, trying to figure out how to leverage stuff. But I'm, I would anticipate some changes there over the coming year with like, okay, here, here are ways that you can legally leverage this stuff. And here are ways that you're going to run into a lot of resistance or issues or get sued. So I'm, I'm curious to see kind of how that develops over the coming year too. I'd, I'd anticipate like, I don't think things will necessarily happen quickly, but I do think out of necessity, there is going to be like change there and enforcement there. And, you know, especially companies that come out and say, Hey, we're going to intentionally use AI in this way, even though there's no regulation yet. You know, I'm sure like the big players will have, you know, their stances on that to try to get positive press and try to kind of get their name out there is, Hey, we're responsibly using AI. But then there's the question of like, okay, well, maybe you have to opt in to responsibly use AI. Like there's still people who will use it irresponsibly. So there's all sorts of questions around that too. I predict we're going to see an arms race in AI in that there's going to be people producing content generation. And then there is going to be um, services that are trying to uh, certify the veracity of that content. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have to be AI driven just because of the rapid pace of this stuff. So I think you'll see a lot of services come online to to verify things um, and they'll you know, there'll be regulation, but I'm sure it'll be ineffectual, or at least there'll be talk of re- regulation. We're going into a an election year, at least in the U.S., and you're going to see tons of like goofy, deep fake stuff and all yep. that. You have yep. to wade through all that, but yeah, I think I think you're going to start to see services come online to to quell some of the objections around mm-hmm. data breach, data leakage, and just veracity of content being generated, and it has to be AI driven. Yeah, I think. YouTube, at least, I think just announced that they'll have penalties for if you don't list AI generated content as AI generated. But there's always the question of, well, what if I don't get caught? <laughs> and yeah, how do you, can can someone else verify it? Because right now it's all opt-in. You just have to say, did I use AI? Yes or no. Uh, there's no way to kind of verify it unless you get caught and then you get demonetized or something and you know go make another channel and do it again. Will it become like the accusation that this was, you know, your content was AI generated become like a witch hunt, even when it's not, you know, if it's created legitimately, will that just become a new way to attack people? Like, well, we, you know, mm-hmm. our, our tool here said this was AI generated, you know, and then use that as kind of use that as a weapon uh, yeah. against others. Yeah. Our fundamental like questions around mm-hmm. IP and what, what's art, you know, are you an artist because you wrote a prompt? Uh, yeah, like the the image generation stuff's getting scary good. And it's in the video stuff is coming along as well. So we're going to yeah. start to have to figure out like all those weird, you know, black mirror type scenarios where the entire cast is is generated in a movie. Yeah, at least for me, when I'm thinking about kind of still on the note of AI stuff, and I know there are other topics we'll get into, but one of my biggest predictions, I guess, that I feel like I can confidently make is that I think, you know, we're kind of entering an age where content is cheap and easy. You know, you can write a book in 60 seconds with a prompt. So the value of brevity and clarity and having a unique voice in creating content, I think will will rise. And also just like there's a there's an element that like you kind of miss out on learning when you're not the one explaining something. So like there's value in 
having to explain how something works to someone else. And when you outsource that to an AI to just explain it for you, you kind of miss out in a sense, because you're not going, your brain isn't making the same connections to like, how can I explain this clearly? So I feel like that's going to be an interesting nuance where the way that people learn is changing and the way that people explain things is changing and being mindful of not only the benefit of explaining things and the benefit of you know doing that mental work yourself, maybe leveraged with AI to assist with, you know, getting over brain fog or speed bumps or whatever it may be. But I feel like that's going to be an element. And then once again, like content is everywhere. Like you can generate a million video clips in an hour or probably 10 seconds or whatever. And, you know, you can write all these blogs and content and whatever, but content that's actually meaningful and valuable, I think is going to be, it's interesting. It's like, it'll be harder to find, but it'll actually be more significant if you have something unique to say that wasn't just generated. So I feel like that's going to be an interesting, like seeing how that plays out and how, you know, the the value of clear, concise content can change over the coming year. So what, what do we think is going to win out for the 2024 election? Are we going to be better at finding the uh, fake news and political positioning that's happening than we were in, in 2020? Or are we going to be better at creating that content and worse at sussing it out? I mean, I don't even... I don't even know how to predict what that'll be. There'll be a lot more of it. The question is, will we be more effective at filtering it out? It's a lot it's a lot cheaper to create it than to police it. So I yeah. pre- uh, unfortunately that we're gonna we're not gonna be able to keep yeah. up with it. It'll be a while before we keep up that the arms race is gonna flip the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not particularly optimistic in that regard. <laughs> yeah, we need better AI to police the AI. Round and round we go. Yeah, there's a part of me that wonders if the general knowledge of how easy it is to generate fictitious content will make people go to certain sources above others. But I I don't know. I'm not super optimistic on that because I know you'll still have people who, well, I read somewhere that this happened. So yeah, it's unfortunately, it's going to be harder to vet, okay, where did this come from? And is it legitimate? And yeah, the value of sources that do cite where things came from and all that, you know, is going to be challenged. Yeah, I feel like those of us who understand, you know, the, the this idea of generative AI will be more pessimistic and ask more questions about, well, you know, am I seeing something that's truthful? But yeah, there's just the mass audience has, still has no no idea, right? And it's just going to be easy and easier to trick people. Yeah, well, the human element in this too is, you know, Sometimes people might know that like this might not be real, but they like the message or they right mm-hmm. it, it's resonating with them, and so maybe they don't care about the veracity as much as they should. They can, <laughs> they are more interested in people things that are resonating with them. You know, that's about tech here, more about psychology. Mm-hmm. psychology. Yeah, I was, <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, I was you know, people love the echo chambers, and they mm-hmm. may not care if it's generated or not. Right? They just like what they're hearing. The challenge. Especially in an election year, as you point out, Yeah. Yeah. On a a different note, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see, you know, Apple announced their AR VR headset, you know, they're very ludicrously expensive one. And, you know, there's also much cheaper options out there. I'm, I'm curious to see how that will develop. I think, you know, the accessibility of the cheaper options is making it a little bit easier for people to jump in and like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll buy that for my kid for Christmas. We'll try it out and see. So there's like, you know, Meta has their whole approach and trying to make it more accessible, but they also have their really high end 
headsets. So I don't anticipate that setting the world on fire. I think there will be a few key use cases where it's particularly useful, but I don't anticipate that taking over. But I am curious to see over the next few years, those use cases becoming more uh, clearly defined and you know, it becoming more affordable and accessible and, you know, the the quality going up. I think Apple getting in the game is a, is going to be a significant factor in people showing interest and in like, oh, okay, yeah, I, it works with my phone, it works with my computer, it can kind of augment and I can have, you know, a giant virtual screen and see everything I'm doing. There is also like a kind of, people are way more resistant to strapping a screen to their face than they are having a screen in their pocket. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out. So I, I at least don't anticipate it blowing up, but I do think it'll prove its value and, and the areas where it is valuable will become a lot more clearly defined over the next year. Yeah. So I think of Apple as a canary in a coal mine for disruption because they're almost never first movers into mm -hmm. a market, even though, you know, a lot of people think of them as like super innovative, but they hold out and they wait for the right conditions and then they swoop in and they take something that is kind of on the fringes and not not widely adopted and they make it you know every day for large swaths of the population so rightly or wrongly they're placing the bet on ar vr as something beyond entertainment and mm -hmm. and you know something that's going to be much more mainstream and if they're right it's going to go the way of the smartphone with the advent of the iphone which was a fringe thing and then basically change the way that large swaths of the population deal with almost any type of information. Um, and they did the same thing with the MP3 player, which was kind of this fringe thing. And then suddenly everyone had an, had an iPod and then that changed the face of the way that people even buy and consume music. So I think they're placing their bet on AR VR. Mm -hmm. uh, really, really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but right. I'm, I'm optimistic that I think it's going to be the vanguard of, of a new set of, of interactive types of media and just ways that we interact with information in general and each other. I am way more bullish on Apple being more successful with Vision Pro than the humane AI pin. My prediction of that is it is dead on arrival this year. So much wrong with that. But I think we're going to see more... I'm really wanting, I'm really curious to see Apple that like deliver on the promise of Siri. I feel like when Siri came out, I, you know, we all sort of expected like what we see out of chat GPT now, that level of like conversation. And it's always kind of let me down, but I wonder if this is the year is Apple about to just drop their, their version of Siri AI or whatever they'll call it. Cause if my watch could do some of the things chat GPT could do mm -hmm. on a daily basis like that, I would, I would just take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like, kind of like what Chris was mentioning, like Apple's rarely first to market, but mm. when they do, they, they have a very polished product. So I wonder if maybe not this year, maybe next year, Siri yeah. gets, you know, really amped up with AI and becomes incredibly useful. But yeah, I've, I've felt the same way. Like I've always been let down by Siri, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the promise of the AI pin is interesting. Like something that's not intrusive. It's just there when you want it. But I feel like, yeah, kind of like what you were saying, Phil, like it kind of seems like it's fumbling on the implementation. Yeah, it's that. not a full replacement. Is no, There's right. no way that's replacing my phone. But I, as a, like the Apple Watch is like it augments my phone experience. Like mm -hmm. I don't use the Apple Watch without the phone, but I do notice it when I don't have it on. I, I miss it. And I could see 
some kind of pin or something helping support the overall yeah. like uh, input to the phone, but the phones, you know, the phone or whatever pocket computer I'm carrying, it becomes like still a foundational piece. I don't want to project a laser ink AI to my hand that was painful <laughs> to use. Like, no, I'll take the touch screen that I can do much more with. That's okay. But it is interesting. I mean, I know we're all weird. We were all weird out by Google Glass and an ever-present like camera going, but it does seem like yeah, if my AI could have some extra eyes and senses to what's going on, it would be adding to that context would make it really interesting. Um but yeah, it feels like comfortably opt in when I want that, not yeah. constantly on. It feels more like an extension or like an evolution of like the Alexa side of things rather than like an evolution of the phone. Like it feels more like a useful assistant that mm -hmm. ha you know that can see and tell me things and help me with information rather than a replacement for my phone, which is what I feel like more Apple's leaning closer to. Have you guys watched the ad campaign for for AI Pin? Because they Indeed. do something very very specific that i thought was really interesting the one where they actually show real people using it yeah yeah which so, they should have which they should have led in their announcement video. Right, not, right. not it comes in these colors and here's the battery it's like no show me what this does yeah i, I i've seen that well most people are young which i thought was interesting so you kind of get a, a whisper of like what demographic they're going after but uh, regardless of the execution of the actual device, and I agree with you guys, I think it's more prototype and aspirational than mass marketable at this point. But the subtle kind of message that they were saying was kind of a backlash to people interacting with screens, specifically mo mobile screens. So mm -hmm. I think like um, it's appealing to um, this building kind of disillusionment with people always just buried in their phones and not experiencing life. That was kind of like the meta message and a lot of those mm -hmm. ad campaigns. So I think like, yeah, they may not actually uh, come to fruition with that mission, but I think like, just if you look at the demographics that they're targeting, there's probably a groundswell of people wanting to interact with information technology in a way that doesn't take them out of what they're doing and stare at a screen. And I think that's the most interesting thing about PIN is they're going they're going after this and they're going after it in a younger demographic. Mm -hmm. The fact that it is a camera, the fact that it can actually observe without you having to input into it your observation, I think short circuits that, right? I think that's a specifically interesting part of, of what it is. Yeah, what I want is... Something like, like, I love the vision, the Apple vision OS idea that like, or well, I forget exactly what it's called, but right? like it's a spatial interface, but I don't want to have this thing on my head all the time. Like I, we, what we really need is some, just some revolutionary holographic projection that can overlay, you know, like, like in true sci-fi overlay my assistant into the world, not me like looking at my hand or listening, but yeah, just I literally augment reality, but still kind of like to your point, Chris, keeping me in the world, mm -hmm. just giving me these little extra bonuses. I wish we had that because I, yeah, I'm not going to walk around with a big bucket on my head or a pin <laughs> kind of do it, but it feels like I, I kind of agree with that message of trying to get away from the screens, but it is also, I don't know. I, I kind of saw the opposite. I just saw a lot of people staring at their hands constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't quite seem right yet, but I, I see where, yeah, I think I see where you're going though. It's their aspiration more than the execution. Yeah. I 100% agree with everything that was said that 
it's probably not the best way to to go about it but it was interesting at how they positioned it what, what you're saying though phil totally reminds me of this sci-fi book called rainbows End. i think it's called it was written in like the early 90s maybe late 80s and it's totally about people with implants and contact lenses basically that augment reality and mm. i won't spoil the book but i will say that it's very dystopian I mean, it sounds pretty dystopian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's interesting about what what that like mass availability of information on command the author goes through, like what it does to society. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's super interesting. I mean, we talk a lot about generative AI, but you know, th- there's so much that's going on there that's interesting. I'll be being consultants and us having in some ways the luxury of being able to go deep in lots of different industries and have a window into them as opposed to just focusing on one thing. It's it's always very interesting to see when new technology comes out, especially the pace at which this is moving, you know, how different industries um, are looking at it, how they're going to tap into it over the next year, who are going to be the the fast movers and who are going to be the early adopters and what they're doing with it. And, uh, you know, just sitting across, you know, some of our different clients, um, you know, the conversations that come up in finance are very different than, you know, the electric grid, for example, and the ways in which people right away, you know, after they write a couple of prompts, it's like, oh, well, what if, you know, I got it to do that. And they're just very different. People jump to things that, you know, that, that they could hope to leverage the technology for in the future, you know, once it matures a little further. Um, so I think I think that'll be a real treat to kind of be involved in that and then also see, hopefully help drive some of it, but, but see um, what the different industries gravitate towards. It's kind of kind of already happening just at the level of like, well, this is interesting to play with, maybe do a little prototyping or, you know, POCs or whatever, that sort of a thing and not necessarily implementing in earnest yet, but uh, very different directions. Yeah. yeah. That makes me think about, you know, kind of intersecting this with, with our customers in the, in the banking space, especially, but in, in financial, I think financial services in general, and where we have projects helping with financial crimes and fraud and anti-money laundering, If you look back like two years ago, what we were hearing around AI, especially ML, was we can't do that, right? Like regulations, compliance, bias, all sorts of reasons we can't do that. And then we started seeing a little bit more experimentation with it on the side, like, okay, maybe this will help us identify other ways to apply heuristic-based logic or other non-ML logic to our scenarios. And in the more recent, like last six months, we're hearing more of how can you help us with ML? And so it, it does seem like we're very specifically on a trend for these companies to really start to try to figure out how to apply this stuff, even in regulated spaces, knowing full well, it won't be a, we can turn around and put this in place in in the regulated environment next month, but that there's a way to do something useful here. And we're going to have to also work through how we apply it, how it intersects with, with the regulatory compliance, but there's a lot more interest in actually acting on it. And so I would expect that to continue and probably build quite a bit in 2024 for us. Yeah, it's a line item at least on every CTO's to-do list that they need a position. So they can't ignore it, even if 
the regulatory pressure means that they can't act on it immediately. So I think in the technology itself and in the, in the vendors of the technology particularly are working to knock down every objection that is coming up. So like you're seeing Microsoft, for example, being very, very aggressive about offering safeguards against data leakage and, and things like that is just part of the Azure version of OpenAI. And so that's knocking down a lot of those blocks. And I think once, you, you know, to Lynn's point earlier, there's a overall tipping point for the technology, but there's also an enterprise level tipping point. And I think we're quickly approaching that. I think it's interesting too that somehow this, again, hearkening back to whenever the internet finally kind of hit sort of a mainstream nerve, there's definitely a lot more um, urgency. It, it feels like even though this is, you know, still kind of new and there's, of course, governance issues need to be sorted out. But yet, you know, to both of your points, I think people feel that they have to get into this game. And I don't know if it's because they feel like they're going to get behind really quickly or maybe because it's just kind of the final, I'll say the, the, the final straw that's breaking the back on, okay, we keep hearing about AI, AI, AI. And now here's this thing that like, man, look at this. Maybe it feels more approachable because it's conversational, even though it's really complicated underneath. It's not any less complicated necessarily. I mean, there's more off the shelf models and the LLMs and all that for that, but it's still sufficiently complicated and you still have the veracity issues and all the other stuff that we've, we've talked about, but yet maybe it feels more approachable because it's conversational. I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of curious if you guys have a take on that because the, the pace of this and to your points of like, it is online items, even if it's just at an experimentation level, like everybody is like, oh yeah, we have analytics. Now next year, LLM, we got to do something around that. We absolutely have to, like it's on every exec's purview right now. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think like you can start to see OpenAI lean into that too. And like Phil mentioned the the recent drop of all the new uh, dev tools. One of those is to actually be able to create small little apps and market it in an app store. And yep. Yeah. And like I first thing I did when I saw that was I went and I created a little app and there's an there's actually an LLM chat bot that walks you through the creation of the app. You don't even have to code anything. Um, so they're leaning into that totally. And if they're doing it at a consumer level that way, uh, to your point, Lynn, it feels a lot like everyone needed a website when the internet broke and everyone needed a, a mobile app in the, the app store, um, when the iPhone broke, this feels very much like that, where they fight the battle at the consumer yeah. level and then the enterprise has to follow. And I feel, I feel like they're going to be dragged along potentially because of regulations in some cases, but they're, it's going to happen. Yeah, I think there are two other two other things for our again, especially banking customers. One is that the technologies and the tool sets are finally getting to a point of maturity that they're more approachable. I think you kind of make that point yourself, Lynn. But I but I think that that maturity was critical because the infrastructure didn't exist. Everything needed to be built from the ground up. There were very few like established processes on how to do that. And so it was R&D projects, really. Um, but now there's a lot of tooling that's in place that, that these companies can actually take advantage of. Those, those solutions are more mature, but also I think um, the industries themselves are realizing the value and the value is more proven. 
how it can help them, especially because of their vast amounts of data, is more clear. Uh, and so the infrastructure to do it and then the reason to do it has, has gotten more obvious. And then on the other side of things, I mean, we're just hearing that the volume of risky behavior is massively increasing. And the expectation is for that to continue to massively increase. And there, the manpower solution that has been the primary solution to this problem to date is just not. It's not going to keep up and and everyone knows it and so that that need and they're just watching these numbers just ratchet up month over month year over year they can't continue down the path that they're on and so that maturity is increasing the problems increasing and so it's really driving them to to try to connect the dots thanks for connecting with us today if you have a complex software problem that needs solving thoughts on what we discussed today, or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at Experoinc.com or on Twitter at Experoinc. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you next time. I was debating on whether or not this would be the year where I have to fully text everyone I know in emojis only without <laughs> any words. And thankfully, I'm landing on no. It won't be 2024. But man, I feel like it's around the corner. I dare you to do it. Like New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is I only know five. Even better. So, and a few words. Way <laughs> better, Brian. Write a prompt that just get the emojis for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming it's coming <laughs>